ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Crunchy Take Podcast. My name is James Kittiful, and we've gone a week without an episode. The last time I uploaded was when LeBron James had just won his championship. I had to get my take in fresh. Um, but this week, we're going for a little something different. As you may notice, I am joined today. Uh, if you're watching the video take online on YouTube, you may notice that today I am joined by... An elderly looking gentleman who looks young. It was a very young looking guy. Uh, this guy by the name of Rob Aller was my college professor and he is a current columnist for the Columbus Dispatch. He's covered Ohio State uh, sports and a myriad of other sports and sporting events in his life. Rob Aller, my brother, it's good to see you. <laughs> yeah, brother. Yeah, great. And speaking of LeBron, you know, I covered LeBron. But I don't want to get ahead of things, but I covered LeBron in high school. You so I've got it. a nice. I got a pretty good story about that too. Yeah, his high school, his high school years, or not? We couldn't have been. Yeah, his. Yeah, school, obviously. Yeah. No, 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 no. I covered <laughs> him when he was in high school. Sweet. When when he was driving around the yellow Hummer. And now he's on this new Hummer commercial. I don't know if you've seen it. It's I have cool. seen that. I saw that late. He's been posting about that on his Instagram. I'm like, LeBron, this is, you've just won your championship, man. You need, you need to, I don't know. He, he, it's, it's weird. It's a weird time for him just because uh, he normally goes zero dark 30 uh, when it comes to the yeah. playoffs. You and I know that, you know, he, he has like, um, he has this thing where he doesn't, he traditionally doesn't check social media, but this year has been entirely different where he does he has to just because of his family and um yeah so well getting right to it this year rob has been really it's just a, such a game changer for so many different occupations right uh Absolutely. Can, you, can you tell us a little bit about you know just you know the ins and outs of what you do and maybe how it's like affected uh, your situation as of late that's one you were one of the first people i thought about when this whole thing went down lockdown you know just because your whole yeah yeah is, yeah sure well i can i can fill you in it's it's probably different than you or most people think i think that sure the first thought is working from home well that's a that's a non-issue with me my life has not changed because for the last 25 years i have worked from home probably 90 percent of the time mm-hmm. everyone thinks the road traveling that in my early part of my career i traveled a lot when i covered major league baseball and did some nba and Mm -hmm. and nfl doing less of that now so you remove the travel from the equation um and i have been working from home there's a lot of people in the working world business whatever you know Mm -hmm. they're not working at home just going in the office that that's not different what has changed is my hours, which we can get into that. Like I've done a 180 on my life here. But mm-hmm. the other day, everyone thought, well, there's no sports. What are you going to write? Because there's no sports going on, at right. least when this first starts. Again, a non-issue for the most part, because there was so much to write in terms of being a columnist, having an opinion mm-hmm. about whether you should, team should play, whether they shouldn't play. There was just a lot of new stuff to write. It was actually refreshing for me, wow. having written the same thing over and over and over and over. That was good. And not to get into the weeds on this, but the thing that's changed is our deadlines are a lot earlier, like a lot earlier than they used to be. Right. So 
Whereas I used to, I used to be able to wake up, drink my coffee, read the paper, chill out, start writing around as late mm-hmm. as noon. Some days sure. now I'm up, I'm I'm grinding at eight eight thirty nine a.m. Mm-hmm. to make a one thirty two p.m. deadline. So that has changed, which is not really COVID related, but it kind of feels like it is because right. it's so different. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it's been weird. But, you know, in terms of uh, some of the minutia, yeah, I mean, I cover Ohio State football. That's everything Zoom now, Mm -hmm. right? So there's no one-on-one, so you lose that human interaction a little bit. In some ways, it's easier from a uh, sort of just a functional standpoint. You don't have to, you know, a lot of my job and a lot of sports writers' jobs is hurry up and wait. You, you go to wait and then you wait, wait, wait. Well, Zoom, man, you're just, it's a, it's a time. You get it done. Mm-hmm. You write it. So it's beautiful that way. Right. But, you know, we're coming up on a biggest change. If you really want to talk about change, sure. like I'm, I'm probably not going to be covering Ohio State games in person. That's, I will that's literally, I will weird. literally, yeah, that's going to be weird. It hasn't happened yet. So, mm-hmm. but I'll probably be watching on TV just like you are. Wow. and. 99%, but I'll be writing off that. So this, it feels a little funny. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's something about being at the game that gives yeah. you the scene and you feel like you've got a little more knowledge than mm-hmm. just the reader or the viewer. Right. But I'm going to be watching just like you are that's, and then write about it. That's got to be weird. That's got to be so weird for you because you've had how many, how many years have you been covering Ohio State for you? Um, Since 1996, and I've missed only two games. Period. Since '96, but that's probably older than probably older than you, my man. Nah, you be you got me by one year there, man. '95, '95. <laughs> hey, so you're not that old, okay? You're not that. Oh, that's old right. To that's me. right. You're, to me, Good. you're not that old, man. So you, that's got to be a weird sensation for you because you you mentioned something about going this COVID era you know as as catastrophic as as it's been for a lot of people it's you know people like me i've i've similarly kind of in the same way i'm just starting out you know so for me it's like i use this opportunity as a time to you know why why not you know right around covid uh when it started was when the last dance was released and everyone was going haywire and a lot of people there was this weird psychological thing where people were using that as a replacement for sports i think it was a little unhealthy people were really kind of putting their expectations on there, but going back to Ohio state a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you took us to that press room. So it's not a situation where they're even going to allow you to be in that press room. That's way away from the field because you would think, Oh, well, you know, would not that much of a crowd. If there is a crowd, like you be able to cover it up closer. Wouldn't that be the idea? Wouldn't, wouldn't like how, how do these, how do these decisions get made from the top down? Uh, in your experience you mean on who covers it well, or not how, it's how it's covered because you've seen like the bubble for example you know the basketball bubble there were a selected few journalists that were allowed to cover the event and maybe you know be up close and watch the action you know and for college sports it seems uh, right now there there's a select few um that are allowed to maybe be in the vicinity of the court or the field or whatnot being that there aren't many viewers if there are any viewers at all, you know, college football being one of them right now. So how do those decisions get made? And like, what, who, who gets to decide who gets to be there? Yeah. So I can, I can walk you through that. Uh, the press box at Ohio stadium, the horseshoe, mm-hmm. I believe holds around 250. 
Okay. Uh, so there's the Big Ten has decided no fans outside of coaches, families, players, families, which wow. is about a yeah about a thousand in the stadium total. But then you throw on some game op people and the media. Mm-hmm. So of the two of the 250 seats, they're allowing 30 members of the media in there. So you know whether this. I don't know if this will bore your your listeners, watchers, or not, but each site, each uh, media outlet is pretty much allowed two representatives. Okay. So a lot of people are cut out. And right. I I cover Ohio State as a columnist, but I'm not the beat writer. Sure. And the difference between a beat a beat writer every day with the team, mm-hmm. everything that happens, they're responsible for. I kind of parachute in and fire my opinions off you know mm-hmm. uh i do i do a lot of state i do all the games but i'm not there on a day-to-day basis i, I might be writing the cleveland browns cincinnati bengals you know whatever nba mm-hmm. so it's not my daily thing so i'm actually on the outside looking in i am going to be at saturday's game i talked my way into that uh as mm-hmm. sort of a one-off so the way it works is if you are the main beat person Sure. Uh, uh, you're going to get into the press box, but you don't really get any advantage other than being in the box and maybe seeing some things uh, that TV won't pick up. Although I will say that sometimes TV picks up stuff that the guys and gals in the press box don't, don't. because because there's you know we don't see the replay. I mean, the, they put TVs in the press box, but sometimes they're far away. You can't really see them. So mm-hmm. in a way, watching from home, you do get a little more information. Right. Uh, you 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 miss out on some other information. But after the game, the way it's going to work is you're not going to go down. Usually, you go down in this big board of media and you ask questions, and they bring players and the coach Ryan Day, the coach. No, everyone's. It's a level playing field for media. I could be in Hawaii or Siberia. Heaven help me. <laughs> and that would be, I'd have no, I wouldn't be any more behind than the guys in the press box because it's all Zoomed. All post-game interviews wow. are Zoomed. That, so, and that's, that's going to be weird. That is going to be, I mean, it already is. But it seems like you've adjusted well, though, because I mean, everything that you've been telling me, it's like, you've been working from home already. This is already kind of in your element. And the fact that it's going to zoom might be a little different, but it's you as a journalist and you as a, you know, having been in the industry for how, you know, 20 plus years, like you are so used to adapting the change, you know? So if people in this field, it's, it's a catch 22, you know, it's, it's, yes, it's different, but maybe in some ways good. Cause I, I remember you telling us about you know, you telling us, okay, to give some context to the viewers, like Professor I, Rob Aller was my professor, my one, one of two journalism professors at Taylor University. And um, yeah, whenever we'd, the two events that you took us to, I remember distinctly, like the being in close vicinity to other people, like that, this is what the audience and this is what uh, normal sports viewers and watchers and avid fans don't notice. And this is what they don't know about the underbelly of being a journalist is that you are scrunched in with a lot of people. You know, that whole thing of there's this famous picture of Jordan uh, and from overhead and you just see all the cameras around him or whatnot. That is essentially that was essentially your world. Right. 
Yeah, and you better not be in the back row because you aren't going to be able to you hear it. Gonna... That's why you're re- you're reaching out that micro that uh, that tape recorder, right. that iPhone to to hear him. So yeah, you you lived through that. You experienced it. You also knew what it was like to have to write on deadline pressure once it's over, which is a challenge. That was a th- that, for me. That was a that was a thrill I'd never really felt before. Is because it's you, you were saying something about yeah. watching um watching the game there and how certain you know if you watch it on tv you catch certain things that maybe the press box people don't um i the main difference there for me i feel is that on tv you're being fed a narrative for for better or for worse you know a pretty depending on the sport mildly objective one but still like a narrative what you're getting paid for and what people are wanting to read it's kind of this weird thing where you see the the stuff you see is the stuff that people really want to know about other than um what they already see on the court you know so whenever you know like someone like Rachel Nichols or whoever reports on you know scuffles or shouts being heard from the locker room yeah you hear that you know some people you know that's what we miss but in are you like is this in a weird way better for you are you you know do do you feel like oh you know I finally after all these years I can I can interview uh fields from my from my couch just if i wanted to you know what that's funny you ask you that's funny you say that because there's a dirty little secret here which is you know um i also cover golf and there's this big tournament uh it's called the memorial tournament in dublin Mm -hmm. ohio jack nicholas famous golfer uh, founded it and we covered it this year i've covered it since forever like Mm -hmm. Since golf, since golf was invented, it feels like. But uh, there were no fans. There were no galleries this year, and it was wonderful. I mean, <laughs> this is this is the thing. Like, you didn't have to deal with the with the the mob scene. You just went from point A to point B. You didn't have to worry about that. It was just, and it was more relaxed too. Like the energy wasn't there, and I think that's what they're finding in all these sports. The energy is down. But in terms of doing your job, mm-hmm. in some ways it's easier because it's all coming to you. You don't have to go to it. So you've touched on a very interesting subject there in that, yeah, I'm not minding it all that much. Now, you are, you are sort of um, restricted again by your access mm-hmm. in that, you know, let's say you're at Ohio State practice and you want to talk to this guy that you see over there and you so you request him and maybe you get a you know 30 second to five minute interview with them well through the zoom thing that's not happening you're getting who they want you to get so they are controlling the narrative and the message a little bit but hey yeah i mean you know what's not to like about you know working in your sweatpants and you know throwing a golf shirt on with you know I mean, that's what everybody's everybody's enjoying now, right? It's just I've been able to do it, like, for a long time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, you've had to, you know, but but this year it's really come to the forefront. So I guess in a way, everything you've been doing has kind of been preparing you, more or less, for this. You know, just the fact that... uh, Yeah, but you, you said something about, you know, them controlling, or not necessarily, but... When you say them, is it the paper or is it uh, the SIDs of the school that are saying, no, only these select few people are uh, open for interviews? That that guy, that X Factor guy you see, you, we probably can't get him, you know? Right. That's the SID and I'll even, but 
maybe it's the coach. Uh-oh. You know, I don't know. I don't know how the sausage is made totally, you know, so to speak, in those situations. It probably depends on the coach, how long he's been there, how much of an institution he is. You know, an Urban Meyer, you know, the SID may defer to Urban Meyer versus a place where the SID has been there for 30 years and it's a first year coach or a new coach. Maybe he defers to the SID a little more. So, yeah, you know, I've been in bad situations, my man, where, you know, you're on tight deadline and and I decide I'm going to do a Justin Fields column, let's say, the Ohio Mm -hmm. State quarterback, right? I'm going to do that column and the clock's ticking and they decide for whatever reason, or maybe Justin Fields decides for whatever reason that he, he doesn't want to talk afterward. So now that's where you get, that's what, that's where you get paid to be a professional because a lot of times you're relying on that guy talking and what he says to kind of carry your story or column. Well, when they don't talk, you gotta, you gotta, you got to smoke and mirrors it, as we say a little bit. You got to rely on what you saw. I think that's probably what's happened through the years with so much audio now and interviewing. I had a guy tell me years ago when somebody was complaining, maybe I was the one complaining, how can I write this? They didn't make them available. And the guy looked at me and said, write what you saw, right? Don't rely on your ears, rely on your eyes, write what you saw. Saw, not what you know, not what was fed to you. That's great advice for anybody kind of starting out. But uh, yeah, so that's that's the deal. To answer your question, it might be the coach, it might be the SID. It's not the paper. Mm-hmm. The paper doesn't really care and doesn't really know. But right. uh, because you are the yeah. paper in that instance, right? You Ab- are absolutely. the representative. You are you are the Columbus Dispatch at the and in that part at that particular time. So. That's interest. That's an interesting spin. Maybe for you know writers out there listening, myself included, it's like you are paid to make. You're paid to write the story that maybe wasn't there before. So even if a, even if you're saying that even if an athlete refuses or does a 180, maybe he's too tired or just doesn't want to talk to a media. That's a story in it of itself. You know, you, you it kind can of be, use... you know, well, a guy has a bad game. He didn't want to talk, right? right. Uh, my, my famous story is I went into the Cleveland Browns locker room after a bad loss, and a guy had pretty much blown the game. But as a writer, we're, you know, I don't know if it's still this way, mm-hmm. but we're the ears, eyes, we're the ears, eyes, and even the nose, if, if it comes to that, uh, right. of, the fan, of the fans, right? We want to, they want to know something. We're there to... We're the conduit. We're the liaison. What do you ever want to call it? So mm-hmm. I felt obligated to go up to the guy who cost the team the game, and he was slumped over at his stall, his locker, with a white towel over his head. Mm, in college and, too, right? He's a young gun, young young guy. No, this was this was no, this oh, was the Browns. The Browns this was Cleveland. Okay, the Browns. So, they, so they're pros. Yeah, so they're pros because you can't get into it. There's another funny thing, right? You you can get into NFL locker rooms, but you can't get into college locker rooms after games. Why do you think that? Well, you know why that is, but to the general public that doesn't know, why is that the case? Is it just because, you know, pros are professionals and they're expected? There's a courtesy, there's a professional contract that it stipulates that you have to? Or is it like, is, there an, is it the NCAA contract? Or is it like the SID slash school side of things that wants to protect the kids? What is it that, you know, why is that the case for you? 
say yes to all that. Oh, uh, it's the a NFL guy. Yeah, the NFL. Yeah, the NFL guys are expected to talk. They want publicity. I mean, the NFL. You know, they want brand. They want hype. It's about money. It's it's an entertainment thing. Right. College is. You know, they 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 walk this fine line and come sometimes speak out of both sides of their mouth student athlete right Mm -hmm. so they want them to be students when they want them to be students but when it's not necessarily conducive to where they are they want them to be athletes so you know the fact that they can close the locker they they close the locker room because they can close the locker room right they have the power to do that and and they kind of want to protect the guys Mm -hmm. college students you know i mean i can't tell you how many times i've heard you know a college player one second be referred to as a man and then the next moment be a referred boy. to as a as a boy or a kid. a kid yeah yeah it you know it's like which one are they so it, it's a tricky deal you know you're 18 you can be drafted go off to war but you can't you know you can't talk to the media you know about about a game so you know that's coming from my perspective right uh, but I think that's that's the reason. Essentially, if you really boil it down, the college closes the locker rooms because they can get away with it. Well, college sports kind of tolls, especially in America. I mean, exclusive, almost exclusively America, because America has a really weird uh, traditionalist way of developing a professional athlete. Whereas you go to another country, let's say like Spain or whatnot, if you're really good at a sport, you're going to get into a club. Yes, they'll educate you. Yes, you'll go through some kind of schooling, but you have a you sign a contract. It, you you know how other school how other countries do their you know, development, right? Player development. There's this whole right. movement. You know, if you look at the NBA, there's a bounty of quality men playing basketball from Europe. It's because the way the way in which they develop, they don't shy away from the fact that these kids are spectacular. But it feels like in America, um, they're trying to toe the line between the, that that student athlete the monochrome of a student athlete or whatnot it's 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 a weird line and it's a kind of a it's hard to describe to other cultures you know me coming from here you know like this the thought of being a student athlete and you're playing for millions millions for for people to watch and you have incredible uh athletic ability that has to be weird for a kid that has to be weird for someone who's 18, right? Weird. I think you touched on something because in America, mm-hmm. North America, the United States, it, you know, we, we tend to focus so much on the superstars. We're talking about the football players and the basketball yeah. players. And so the student athlete gets a little fuzzy there, right? I mean, a guy who's, you know, plays for Ohio State, he's got his eye on the NFL from day one. Right. Let's say you're a, let's say you're a field hockey player right or you're a water polo player or you're a lacrosse player or whatever i think the student athlete there is more legit because they know there's no future in it so they are they have to get their education they're there for the education because they know there's nothing after it versus, versus europe like you said it doesn't happen that way they break off and if they want to be pros and they got their that's eye on, on something them. they're going right. that's on them and they're going club mm-hmm. right so it's just a totally different system, and it, it can get a little janky here in the U.S., I think. Right. Well, you're speaking of uh, student athletes, well, the D1, I think we're hitting on something pretty 
have here i might as well ask like in your opinion like the whole we've seen we saw last year with like kind of whispers of california kind of going exclusive with that whole you know student athletes are going to be student athletes that have the leverage to negotiate what they're making right there's a famous jalen rose has a saying that i believe in that says you can make what you have the leverage to negotiate well a player like zion williamson has a ton of leverage you know a player like maybe justin fields has a ton of leverage right now do you think we're headed towards a different landscape for college sports or do you think the the empire that is the NCAA will still kind of keep a bottle on it. You know, will they be forced to relent to the whole students can't get paid for their own image thing slowly collide? Or do you think it'll sort of wean itself out and there'll be a new contract to kind of keep things in place? Well, we're at a tipping point right now because the Congress is looking at this oh. and there's, and there's, and there's different opinions in Congress. Some people uh, are pushing NIL that a kid should be able to, a kid, they can even, I'm saying a kid, adult, should be able to make whatever they, he can, Zion. You know, if he can get $2 million off his name, image, and likeness, why shouldn't he, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's other people in Congress uh, who tradition. think, oh, oh, no, yeah, tradition, they're getting enough. And the reason it's in Congress is because the NCAA is scared to death because of what happened in California and even more so what's in Florida, where that's supposed to go into effect in the next year. Right. And so that's why there's the NCAA is speeding this up and has been saying all along that they want federal, they want the federal government to step in and regulate this because they know, you know, it is, it is a sea change that is coming to college sports, at least at the highest level. Mm-hmm. If a guy can make, you know, that's a whole nother, you, you, that's for another day and another topic and another hour podcast because you know, you've got a lot going on there. This, if the star quarterback can make ten grand, and his his left tackle only makes five hundred bucks, you know, how is that good for team chemistry? Is it? Is right. it a big deal? Well, you know, there's just a lot of elements there. A lot yeah. of elements. I'm actually, I'm actually pro name, image, likeness. I think guys should be able to make maybe maybe set a limit on it, but I think that's only fair. Uh, I'm not real big. At least I haven't been. Although I'm moving, I'm moving toward the, uh, changing my mind on whether guys should be guys and gals should be paid, just outright paid. I, I don't like that idea at the moment. Uh, By the institution. Uh, yeah. Well, the institution already can do it. They can give you this two thousand dollars stipend. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on the institution in the league, I think I think that's the NCAA rule. Honestly, you can give two thousand dollars. But you can't give like two hundred thousand dollars. Right. So you know you're bringing the boosters in. You're bringing the you know you're bringing the as we say jock sniffers into. They just want to rub up against the superstar, and they'll pay a million dollars just to have a picture and an autograph, right? So that gets very messy. I do. I sympathize with the NCAA and the member institutions, as they call them, which is mm-hmm. basically all the colleges, because it's it's going to be tricky and it's going to change things. Um, economically culturally it will shift everything you know like everything we've come to i I feel like it'll shift what people think about uh their traditional view and love america's love of college sports right you knowing what you know covering the most storied football probably football team in america like you you i i feel like ohio state's football team is is the team for america like no one 
there's no other football team that kind of has that kind of story. So knowing what you know in a nutshell, right? Because this could be, we could go on and on about this, but in a nutshell, what are the indications going into the future as far as what you see out of coming out of Congress and like, um, like the tipping point, is it close at hand or is it, are we kind of like two or three years from it in, in your opinion? No, I, I think, well, you know, COVID and everything there in the election has, has slowed everything down. So, yes. you know, I, I would have said we'd have been close already, mm-hmm. but I would think within the next, oh, I don't know, I'll say 15 months, something like that, year and a half, maybe even sooner, we're going to get, there's going to be some clarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate to even predict which way it's going to go because it's politics. I don't know how that's right. going to fall. I know that there, I know that there is a lot of momentum to open it up so that the best players can make money. And, uh, you know, when you want to call that capitalism, free enterprise, you know, it's funny how we make rules, you know, people who are so pro, uh, you know, free enterprise and make what you can when it comes to sports, suddenly they go the other way. That's, that's pretty, uh, I don't know, hypocritical, maybe it's too strong, but there's an element of that. So nutshell, yeah, I'd say next 15 months, there's going to be some NIL movement and I would expect money to start to flow toward athletes. I think player empowerment you're seeing it the last few years, it's happening more and more and more. More and more so. Well, you touched on, um, you touched on the aspect of being hypocritical and say have saying have a consistent voice right so let's maybe go a little into your past right you've been developing your voice now for 20 30 plus years when did you um first think to yourself you know what this is what i could do this is what i want to do for a living well where were the first inklings of that maybe even go to your muses as a kid and like what you did sure. in college or whatnot so well, you were a student of mine, and I think one of the things I harp on is mm-hmm. um, you have to like a right, um, even in a way. And this is my this is a me opinion, right? This is mm-hmm. not necessarily everybody, but I think you have to enjoy writing, turning a phrase, uh, communicating with your fingers on the keyboard as much or more than you have to love sports. Sports is like the vehicle for your for your passion and your creative craftsmanship of writing. And you know, fairly or not, I tell guys and, and the women in my class, you know, writing is sort of a gift. You can you can improve at it, but you know, you're not most guys aren't going to become Tiger Woods. They're not going to become LeBron, right? Even if you want to be, you could work as hard as you could. Uh, and I'm hoping I'm not slamming the door on people, but you, you can work as hard as you can and you, you can get really good, but you're never, you won't necessarily be, you know, the best. So I was pretty good at it early on and I just followed that. I did compete in sports. I played sports. I love sports. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I just kind of kept doing that in terms of finding a voice. I, I early on kind of started to write conversationally. Mm. In other words, as I think is I talk, I write, you know, and so that's kind of how I, how I've done it. Um, I'm a little old school and then I think writing matters, quality matters. Right. Uh, I'll go on a tangent and say, you know, um, things change with the Bill Simmonsing of journalism. 
I enjoy reading Bill Simmons, but it's just a change from what I came up with. He was that sort of a fan that kind of just wrote like two guys at a bar on a two guys on bar stools talking about the team. Mm -hmm. And before that, it was objective crafting. You know, how do you turn the phrase? It was more poetry in some respects. And that's kind of going, that's kind of changing. It's going a little by the wayside. But I would say if you like sports and you like to write, hey, this might be the job for you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's weird. It's cool how you mentioned how it was poetry. You know, it almost kind of it it shifted. Not only shifted, but it like it, it really did impact sports in general, right? Because we think about how did certain how do we come to know and perceive things? And so, for example, like Magic Johnson, there was a sports writer who dubbed him, who gave him that name when he was in high school. You know, a sports writer gave him that. A sports right. writer is responsible for us knowing Irvin. You know, if you say Irvin, a lot of people may not know. If you say Magic, instantly we we know who that is. You know, um, and I I would to that. Would you say uh, that the landscape for that is changing? Because right now you you said you you sort of talked about Bill Simmons, the 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 Bill Simmons effect having a different spin on it. But right now it's hard to ignore the YouTube and just the newer outlets and media still incorporate a lot of writing into them. Like every video breakdown you see, or um, the good ones, right? The good video breakdowns or the good analysis kind of sporty analysis videos. A lot of them are pre-written. A lot, a lot of a guy has to sit down and he can't just ramble, right? It's different than a podcast. Is- where in, yeah. So absolutely. And here's another thing too, which I think should, needs to be said. Mm-hmm. Um, not all negative. I mean, the positive here is that, you know, analytics and statistics now are much more important than when I just, when I started 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I get, I, I get tripped up on that sometimes because, uh, you know, it's been an old dog, new trick thing to really right. work a lot of analytics into my stories and columns, which is what people have come to get, are kind of used to now mm-hmm. and real, just real and real analysis. I mean, you, you know, you'll see stuff now because of TV with the NFL or baseball where every little thing is analyzed and it's like data. And I just watched Moneyball the other night. Great movie, by the way. If you've never seen Moneyball oh, with seen Brad it. Pitt, yeah, it's, a good, it's, it's a good fantastic. Movie. Yeah. And that kind of started changing some things, not just in baseball, but in the way baseball was covered. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I'll write a column and I'll craft it, but it'll be more like you're reading a book, sort of a, uh, just an enjoyable book mm-hmm. versus like a lot of like, instead of a recipe. And I think we're almost to a point now where like people want to read recipes, like how is mm-hmm. something, how is, how is it made versus just sort of, and I'm not a big recipe guy. My wife will tell you that, <laughs> uh, uh, can't cook a lick. Um, but I'm more of a kind of a big picture prose poetry guy. And, you know, I have to own that, mm-hmm. that when people write and say, hey, that wasn't very deep, you know, well, it, maybe it wasn't. I was trying to entertain. I don't take it as a slam. It's mm-hmm. just, it's where, it's where the game is, is going anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still think there's a place for both, honestly. So it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm a dinosaur going away because good writing is always going to hold up. But I do think that if you really like analytics and you like to really dig into numbers and numbers crunch and look at the, you know, why a guy is 
hitting a certain way and mm-hmm. what that means to the I think there's room for that too. It's a different art form, you know, because now the two are kind of married in a way that we've never really, I mean, even 10, you said the change started to happen about 10 to 20 years ago, you said that the 10 years ago, the whole. I would say, yeah, I would say in the last decade, even the last five years, it seems like every year it gets even more mm-hmm. um, because it, it's, it's demanded. Right. People won't, people are not satisfied anymore with just sort of, oh, you know, he's got a strong arm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, Brett Favre has a strong arm. Now you want to know where does he throw? How accurate is he? Zero to 10 yards, 10 to 20 yards, over 30 yards. You know, it's all just numbers crunched. And a lot of people like that. Yeah. So with, with that in mind, like it had, you said it hasn't really changed your style at all as, as far as you, you just sort of adapted to it and you kind of use it as a tool, right? It's a tool. These, these numbers are metrics that you can maybe draw a story from, you know? So in, um, maybe as a weird segue, you know, you, with that in mind, like all the tools that you have, I had gathered, you know, when you were first starting out, um, this is a question that one of my uh, viewers asked me to specifically ask, you know, was there a time and I'm, I'm 100% sure this is true because you've taught us a lot about about being a fan and how that kind of dies away as you as it goes away. But was there a time where you were starstruck, but you had to keep yourself straight and ask questions? Like how many how many times has that happened to you, and how how have you kind of overcome that and still done your job? Absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't be in this business if I hated sports. I wouldn't, you know, if I was just Deep, deep down, you know, hey, I attended Ohio State. I ran track at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deep down in there somewhere, deeper than it used to be uh, years ago, you know, I'd like to see him do well. I don't root for him. I think I told you guys when I taught, I root for me. I root for the story. Everyone said, you know, when, when when friends always say, who do you root for? You know, who's your favorite team? I said, I'm my favorite team. Because mm-hmm. as you know, uh, having been in class and having done this, when that clock's ticking and you've got 15 minutes to file your story, Personally. you don't really care. Mm-hmm. You don't care LeBron, how good of a guy LeBron is. You, you care about, I got to get this story in in 15 minutes and I can't get emotional about it, right? I've got to get it in. But, to, you know, that's a long way of saying, around saying that, yeah, I was intimidated. I'm trying to think if there's anybody now. There's still some intimidation, especially you get into a pack mentality. You're in a group, and let's say an Urban Meyer's up at the front of, you know, and you're getting softball questions because, A, a lot of guys want, you know, Urban to like him or they don't want to upset him. I'm just using Urban as an example. Right. Um, so there's, there's a lot of that. I just remember being young. And just sort of my knees were knocking when I'd come up to, uh, you know, a guy I'm trying to think who it even might have been. I mean, he, oh, I know uh, I went into an NBA Kevin Garnett once and I went oh, into the NBA man. locker room. Yeah. And, uh, and he, uh, I tried to talk. I tried to talk to him before the game. I didn't know. Like, this is when it started to change. He doesn't talk before the game. <sighs> like some most guys do. You know, and he just looks and says, don't you know, I don't talk before games. I'm like. You know, and I was an adult. I'd done this for a few years, but it was still a little intimidating. Hey, we're we're human beings, right? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. The minute the minute you stop becoming human, it's you know it's over. So yeah, uh, the more you do it, the longer you do it, 
typically you become less of what would be mm-hmm. a classic fan a classic fan a because you see behind the curtain you see that you see the wizard of oz behind, you know pulling the pulling the the levers and pushing the buttons behind the curtain mm-hmm. so it takes a little bit of the 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 kid out of you right but also you know you just if you're the way you're treated if you're going in there again as i always say i've seen how the sausage is made and you go into the locker room after the game when the cameras turn off and when some guys will treat you like dirt and some guys are nice so you get enough of that and mm-hmm. you know you just kind of self-preservation yeah. but man i love i still love getting the great quote getting a great story and mm-hmm. a fantastic game i can appreciate it well to that like despite what despite that despite the fact that you know that you still have a job because the product that you are selling to people kind of fuels their emotion and their feelings about the game right you are framing um it, whether you know it or not, or whether you're conscious of it or not, especially in the moment, right? It can be a little tough, especially when you have a job. When that clock is ticking, it's getting closer to midnight. You better su- submit something quick. And it's, but despite that, are there, have there been times where you've been truly wowed by an athlete's performance, by a team's performance? And it's been like, oh, I cannot believe I'm here right now. Have there been times like that for you? And what, what have they persisted of? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and going back to LeBron, this is coming full circle to the to the story I was going to tell. I sure. went covered covered LeBron, uh, Akron St. Vincent St. Mary, and uh, in in Akron, Ohio, where he went to high school. And I covered two of his games. Mm-hmm. And the first game, I was so unimpressed. I thought, what is the big deal? Because he didn't have a good game. He didn't he wasn't anything special. Yeah, he was kind of a physical phenomenon, right? right? To a certain extent. But it was like, I think I've seen better high school players, honestly. He wouldn't have been, he been in my top ten. What year was so this? I saw was this his senior year? I think it or? I think it was no, I think it was his junior year because he okay. lost the state tournament his junior year. Right, but yeah, then I did, saw then I saw him his senior year. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there was that much progression. He was already the chosen one, like his junior year. I mean, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. But then I saw him again. I can't remember if it was the same year or the next year. And I walked away from that game saying, that guy easily is the best high school player I've ever seen and may ever see. Mm-hmm. So, so there's the two. I was wowed by LeBron James before he was really LeBron, if you know what I mean. Um, I've covered games that are just unbelievable. Um, uh, covered national championship and going back, you know, through 2005, I think six, the USC mm-hmm. uh, Tech Texas events. Young in the uh, national championship game won that game single-handedly. It was phenomenal, mm-hmm. phenomenal. I've seen Tiger. I've seen Tiger Woods at his best, just in awe of how the ball. When he hits it, it sounds different coming off the club than other guys, you know, hitting the ball. So, yeah, it just, it, you know, you you want to do justice in those stories too. You really want to capture mm-hmm. it and really nail it. And you know, probably most more times than not, you feel like you didn't quite get it because right. there's nothing, nothing like the live deal. You know, mm-hmm. just being there in the moment. So you just do the best you can and. And you hope you can bring people into that moment with your writing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not just with the... There's something interesting that happens when people read 
you know, when people start to read uh, your articles or or a article or whatnot, because you're kind of transposed into this different world if you allow yourself to be. But, you know, like the, the way and it's it's fascinating to hear you talk about just, you know, the whole fan aspect kind of dying down. But then there are still these moments, you know, so with LeBron, there was that jump, you know, I watched that documentary where, you know, he did lose his junior year and he felt like he had to had to have that retribution and see an athlete on the comeback, whatnot. Um, has it ever been, uh, what, how do I phrase this question? So this maybe describe the atmosphere of these games for people that don't, haven't experienced something like this before. What's different? What's, I know it's obvious to people like us, but like, what is so different between watching, say, uh, LeBron on screen versus LeBron in person? Like what's truly different about that for you? us there, there there's an electricity there's just mm -hmm. there's the it factor and you know why why does one guy make it when another guy with equal talent doesn't mm -hmm. uh there's something it's not just physical ability it's just it's it's an intangible man it's mm -hmm. like you're in the presence of greatness you're these guys either it's because they've been treated a certain way since the time they were three years old and showed ability, mm -hmm. but they carry themselves with this the confidence. And, and then there's just the sheer size. I mean, I always love telling people like, I mean, you don't realize how big, large a man Shaq is until you stand next to him. He is Goliath, my man. He is mm -hmm. just like unbelievable. His shoe size is like 20 or something ridiculous. And, mm -hmm. So there's something about being around these guys and knowing that they can do something that you can't and that like 99.9% of the world can't mm -hmm. that does, you know, you don't want to idolize them because the moment you do that, they will let you down and we shouldn't be idolizing people anyhow. Right. right. Uh, but, but there is, there's that it factor, there's that electricity. And when you put that into an environment where there's a crowd, Mm -hmm. uh, where and, and and they're all expecting to see something great, and they see something great, it's just phenomenal. And I was not at Game 7 of the 16, uh, 17. Six, yeah, the I wasn't there back, right. to, to watch what, to me, is a top five easy greatest moment play in the block. sports history. The block. The block, yeah. I mean, the block did so much. Yeah, Kyrie made the shot, clutch shot, all that. But the block was something that only one person maybe in this world could do. And he did it. Right. And he did it <laughs> and, at the most at the most inconvenient of time because it was on a fast break. And I remember that play well because at that time, and I still am a Warriors fan. You know, family, oh, that's right. family was a family was a Bay Area. Our family, we had nothing to root for. And, you know, this team, for whatever reason, decided to become an integral part of basketball history. It went they went from being, you know, Kwame Brown was on our team. We signed him for two years, six million in 2011 to years later, five years later, them being the team that changed basketball, you know, and this is the team that. Cleveland fans, you know, I looked at um, footage of various fans just like nervously, you know, kind of. And when that block, there's a between the two, between the shot and between the block, the block gets a much louder like reception because that's really the thing that's kind of sealed the deal for them, you know. 
And it was LeBron. And it was LeBron. I mean, yeah. it was the greatest. It was the Jordan, you know, yeah. Jordan, you know, Cleveland. Heaven yeah. knows Cleveland's been burned by Jordan with the shot and the oh, whole yeah. thing. That tore that tore my heart out. Uh, so there I am, right? There's enough fan in me. Right. That I yeah. still, to this day, to this day, to this I'm day. not a huge Jordan fan. And yeah. it's there's a lot of reason for that. Sure. Because in my formative years, when I was at my most fandom-ist, sure. which isn't a word, he ripped my heart out. It's the same reason I can't like John Elway and never looked like John Elway because mm-hmm. I was a Cleveland Browns fan and the drive just about killed me. And then, of course, you know, another next year, Ernest Biner and the fumble against the Broncos. I will never like the Broncos. <laughs> now, when I have to cover them, I can't let that kind of out. Right. You know, that's that's where the professional comes in. You have to kind of turn off that emotion. But there are mm-hmm. certain teams, certain people that will always just get in my craw. Michael Jordan is one of them. Everybody loves him. There's the a story shot, there, man. Why? Why? The what shot, happened? The shot killed oh, me. He's over Elo. Oh, oh. He makes it over low. You know, I was a huge NBA fan. And mm-hmm. Don't get me going reminiscing down, you know, down memory lane here but i was a big nba guy so you grew up in, uh, you grew up in uh ohio you grew up in around the cleveland i grew up north north northern ohio okay. right northern ohio not not cleveland it wasn't even a suburb i was you know, there's a place called cedar point i lived right near that a big okay okay park. yeah yeah but you know the the browns were pretty much uh they ripped my heart out in the mid 80s and then you know, that, that was probably a good time for Cleveland sports, except for the Indians, which were, were horrific back then. They didn't get that. They didn't get good to the mid nineties. You're talking to somebody, my man, old enough to remember like Cleveland sports and the Cleveland Indians were horrific. As long as you've been alive, they've been pretty decent, actually pretty good. But I grew up with, they were the laughing stock. So the Cavs came along. The Cavs were pretty good. Yeah, Mark Price, even before Mark Price, even before that, they were in the playoffs. Foots Walker, I'll throw some names out you don't know. Jim Clemens, Jim Jones, guys like that. That was the first manifestation of a good, good uh, Cavs team, mm-hmm. which was unheard of in Cleveland. And then they came back with Price and Doherty and, Mm-hmm. Uh, they had Nance and Hot Rod Williams, and they kind of were right there on the cusp. And Jordan just puts the dagger in them. So, what so. was it like? I, I'm assuming. Did you watch it? You, you're not a fan. I watched. Did you watched it. I didn't all? cover it. You didn't. No, I wait, wa- you, you didn't cover I it. I watched it. I'm asking. Did you watch the Last Dance at all? The the documentary that came out. I was probably last in on the Last Dance. Everyone told me I had to watch it, and I said I can't watch that guy. <laughs> Well, I put myself through it and I ended up watching it and really enjoyed it because it's well done. Right. Um, I actually, this may sound a little funny because I think a lot of people watched it and liked Jordan less after it because mm. he's just, he's a, a bit of a bully. Right? right. And I mean, you can just, you can try to justify it by being competitive and all that, but mm. with, you know, he was a bit of a bully. I watched it already knowing he was a bit of a bully already not liking him. And thought, you know what? He's he's a little more likable than I thought, and it didn't hurt me. Yeah, the, the elo, the shot, that was very painful. But there was enough. That was just a small part of it, you know. He, he mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a Utah, you know, Utah, a jazz fan, a Portland fan, you know, you you name it. Yep. He he kind of ripped he ripped your heart out, Phoenix. So, you know, I'm not alone in that. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, he was incredible, and he he changed he changed everything. I've always said that if I had to start a team, you know, he's definitely on it. I think because he's a bit of an assassin, I would take him probably before LeBron. Uh, it's crazy LeBron, that it's a number one yeah. and number two like kind of situation that we're in, and you know, LeBron in his seventeenth year, this is what he does. Jordan to you is what LeBron was to me in 2016. Like I, but now I just I can't bring myself to hate the guy. I can't. <laughs> I I can't I can't hate him like a Skip Bayless was. Just because objectively, what can you say? Like this right. is you know it's that same effect. But with the Last Dance, I have. It's weird in that this is a you know ESPN. They're owned by Disney, and this they're not. This is not a company that usually permits swearing and permits like uh the uglier side slash less maybe less pleasant side you know the whole dennis rodman spiel you know him and cameron diaz or not or carmen electra my bad like right, going right, that right. Vegas run, i thought that was brilliant in, in the way that you know this is what people really want to see you know like the, the whole time jump for me was weird because as maybe as insiders or basketball fans we already know a lot of that stuff but it was interesting to know like jordan had a pretty good relationship with his bodyguard you know his that whole banter between um that whole banter between him and the other guards you know him gambling with the guards just to get him going uh, the best moment for me was when they kind of the stuff that i think i was really hoping to see the most of is that last game right after they're in that hotel room and he's just like he's playing the piano jordan is playing the piano and he's just talking to them as he is you know i don't Outside of hard knocks, I don't really see that in in a, in today's kind of world. So, do you think that was a rare example that we might never see again? Uh, outside of combat sports, of course, which is very raw, which is very they don't hide anything. Do you wish it would kind of be more like that, as far as you know, showing who these people actually are and how they operate, despite the fact that they're athletically great and gifted? Or here's here's what I would say to that. I think. We're getting just enough of it. And as much as people might push for more, mm-hmm. I think there's something sweet and innocent about sports. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I just want to believe that. Mm-hmm. Sports is a tape. Sports is the reality show, which is why it bothers me that they're piping in music to these games and they're oh. putting up cut- cardboard cutouts only because, okay, watching at home, I'd rather have that fake noise i guess than not oh, yeah. but i've always i've always maintained man the thing that sets sports apart is it is it's it's really reality tv Correct. and the moment you and the moment you start to do this stuff it's a slippery slope mm-hmm. but to your to your point i think it's better to have it in these small small snippets to to see like the last dance to see the oj i don't know if you've ever seen the esp the 3030 the oj special Oh my gosh! I think that's the best I've ever seen. You know, really? you see some stuff there. I think it's the best I've ever seen. Just you see some stuff when he goes down to Florida and all that. The I just never knew. So you know, we don't want we don't want to just be immersed in that all the time right, because correct. then we're going to get jaded and it's going to be like sports. I mean, we're already getting that. Social media has kind of contributed to this, yeah. this downfall of things. It's like nothing is unknown anymore. Nothing is sacred There's really a, in that. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. something about the mystery. There's something about man. There's, there's it's a kid, it's a game, right? Mm-hmm. We're really talking about kids' games that are played on an adult professional level, 
Right. They are business. Don't get me wrong, but, but I don't think you ever want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's such so. a craft to see. And at that level, it's art. I've tried. I've had arguments with people before as far as oh, sports is good. Uh, the sports we play at the rec league, yes, that that is. There's nothing really artful about me shooting a jumper. But man, you see Steph shoot a jumper. There are millions. There are. There's a lot of articles that come out about it, and there's a reason why. You know, it's because that one guy does it so well. Um, people will never. I, I'll I'll just throw this in because you started yeah. it here. People don't understand. I don't think deep down how good these guys are. I use Not this really. example. Not really. Yeah. I, I watch this example. You go to a high school game. Just a, and I'm not even talking about a great high school team. You know, a, a couple of good high school teams that are it's not funny. even going to win state. You take the best players on those teams, and they're pretty good. It's funny. You get a guy that's all. You get a guy that's all conference. That guy can play ball, right? Mm-hmm. He's a good. He can play hoops. That's a high school game. Take a you know middle of Nebraska guy playing basketball. He's pretty mm-hmm. good. I couldn't beat him. Mm-hmm. Then you take it to the next level. Okay, good, really good high school. Then you go. Really good high school. Mm-hmm. Then you go Division Three basketball. I covered Division Three basketball at Wittenberg uh, University in Ohio. Those guys, everyone thinks, oh, Division Three, that's like high school. No, no. a Division Three really good player are so good. You, it's like you don't give them enough credit. And then you go to the next level and the next level. Then you get into NCAA, whatever, 130 teams, and the 130th team. I could do this with golf, too. The difference mm-hmm. between the number one guy and the 130th guy is unbelievable. So you go from the high school level, then you take it all the way up to LeBron. I mean, how can there be that much difference? But there, there is. is. There are yeah. they're artists. There are. They're artists, and they're unbelievable. You said something interesting about um, them injecting live music and fake crowd noise right we're in the this is 2020 this is i feel and i've been i'm not the only one who feels this but this whole year has been like a black mirror episode it's kind of been a dystopian thing how do you feel about the different coverages of live sports that you've seen i have a personal opinion about this but in your opinion what sport slash organization slash league has done it the best as far as uh project or showing the people the actual product sands the crowd, in your opinion. Wow. Well, you know, I'm evolving just like everybody else is. I mm-hmm. mean, that's one thing that we need to remember. I mean, I think we need to give ourselves extend grace to change our minds. Sure. Because cause information changes and, and the facts, not the facts change, but the circumstances change. Um, I thought that, well, I'm a golf guy. And initially, you know, like what sport probably would be hurt the least by not having fans. Would probably be golf in a way because it's quiet anyhow. So you watch enough golf and you're watching it and you know, other than a guy making a huge putt and it being kind of quiet, I think golf kind of holds up okay just mm-hmm. because of the nature of golf. Right. Whether they whether whether they presented it well or not, I mean it's just the nature of golf. Um you know, the NHL was okay. I did not really care for the NBA. I just felt like it was watching some practice a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe there was the bubble thing. I just didn't quite get it without the crowd there mm. in the NBA. Yeah. And, you know, the NFL is piping in noise and they can focus in. I think it's so dependent on sort of the physical, uh, how it's Nature constructed. Like. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like the NFL, you just zoom in on that field, you know, and then you're just listening to it. And 
So who's done it poorly? Uh, I'd love to hear your take. I'm going to turn it over. Right. To you. Um, I've, I've been developing it. I've been mulling over it for a long time. I feel so little people pay attention to it, but it really kind of bothered me. I feel like the NBA missed an opportunity. Uh, I, they really missed an opportunity to really now granted, uh, there's probably contracts on contracts on contracts stipulating they can't, uh, reveal just how much these people swear because believe me, like every, you could sense it, right? Every time the ball was underneath a basket, every time there was some inkling of a confrontation underneath the basket, they'd mute it. And it's just, it'd just be this awkward, like you wouldn't hear the court for 20 seconds. And then them injecting crowd noise in there, it was just kind of, you know, some DJ, some local team DJ is pressing yay for, for, um, yeah, just pressing yay for crowd noise and he's not allowed to boo. And there was this compilation of, you know, I mean, when LeBron won it, there was this compilation of his last 10 years in the finals. And wow, when the crowd is there, it makes such a visceral difference. But I feel like the these leagues have missed the opportunity to kind of last dance their own product. They had an opportunity to show like what a game, what a professional game in an empty gym really sounds like. And what did they do? They tried to mimic, you know, credits to them. That whole virtual crowd was, I think that was kind of cool. You know, that's a once in a lifetime experience. But one league that did do it right, in my opinion, was the UFC. Mm. Yeah, because okay. the UFC, uh, I think they were, they were honestly the first mainstream league. I, I, I talked about this on my pod, the fifth, fourth episode or what, third episode I did uh, ever with my cousin. It was like, this was the first uh post covid like covid era sporting event it was tony ferguson versus justin gaethje for the interim lightweight title right um and we we all had doubts and whether this event was really going to happen or not and the product itself without the crowd was completely different but it was good because for once in your life you could hear how hard these hits were they oh, didn't yeah. shy away from the swearing. They didn't shy away. I mean, it's the UFC, right? So it's it's pretty raw and filtered anyway. But you take, they took COVID and their circumstances of not having a crowd and you being able to hear the corner and just all the sounds of the natural game. I thought they did so well to encapsulate on that. And granted, I'm a little biased because I think, one, I think the UFC and MMA is the fastest growing sport in the world. It might be the most accessible to all all types of genders and age groups because and body ties because there are so many different divisions you know and just the fact that it's it's fighting you know if i've heard it said once if there was a giant park right uh the best football players were playing on one field basketball other sports and then there were fights going on where would all the eyes be the fights yeah. Yeah, you know, objectively would probably be the fights. There's this humanistic thing, but yeah, to circle back to the live coverage, I feel like the NFL maybe they can get away with it because of the crowd, you know, because it is a field, it is so big. But I just, I really thought the NBA was going to hone in on the sounds of the game. Like you could hear good example of this. I'll stop my rant here in a little bit, but good example of this is for whatever reason this year the Olympics. They released um, the, I don't know, you, you know, you remember this, the 08 uh, Redeem team. 
their game against Spain, the gold medal game. But for whatever reason, they uploaded it without audio, without um, commentary. Maybe because of rights or whatnot. But what you could hear, you could hear the visceral sounds of the game. You could hear LeBron. You could hear Kobe trash talking uh, one of the Spanish players. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And LeBron was telling him, hey, you know, pipe it down. We're here to play. That stuff. Yeah. In a long, kind of long-winded way, I feel like they, they've missed out on really making their product a little more raw. Now, obviously, this year, um, it's, it's unavoidable, so I wanted to touch on it a little bit before we wrap up here. But in your, like, social justice, as um, I feel like this year, more than any other year, I didn't even think that was possible, but... This year, more than any other year, maybe because of COVID, it's really come to the forefront. What's your, what's your take on that as far as athletes and so, the social justice movements and with their cause and all that? We okay, see? so I, so I've evolved. That probably used to be even maybe even a couple years ago, um, a little more closed off to it. Mm-hmm. But I think for the most part. It's a positive deal. You know, I've written before the old, you know, I, I, I probably t- a decade ago or more was a shut up and more of a shut up and dribble guy. Mm-hmm. But now I'm dribble and talk. You can do it both. I think it's pretty cool. I probably, I've probably become more woke in general on social justice. So I think I'm probably going to be more open to the, to it, to the athletes uh, doing it and speaking it. Sometimes I still have to kind of raise an eyebrow to some of the methodology, mm-hmm. but I also extend grace that sometimes, you know, and that's not going to be done perfectly. And so it's really the message is what matters, not so much how it's delivered. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am. I, you know, I, I don't want to come off just totally PC. Um, yeah. Because I do, I do have some hesitations, but I think it's, I think it's pretty cool, and I think that uh, when you look at the makeup of the leagues, mm-hmm. uh, percentage-wise, minorities, uh, hey, it's you know it's about time that it's if it's if it's in culture, then it's in sports, and it's time to you know put on our big boy britches and discuss this stuff. Yeah, just I I, I like what you said, and you've been I've I've noticed this as a theme with you that where we give grace as. You know, because you you know, at your core, you're also you also have your beliefs. Um, and extending cool. grace is something that is sorely, in my opinion, I think it's sorely needed as objective journalism goes. I mean, not just with sports. I mean, now more than ever, right? You you probably say like the idea of extending grace to people is probably key to humanity's Absolutely. survival. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely, man. I, I look in the mirror and I got to extend it to me. I know it's been extended to me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in my faith by, by the power of God. So, you know, that's that's what it's all about. You, yeah. we're, we're all flawed. And, you know, as I like to say, man, we're all just beautiful messes. We're all just beautiful messes. So, you know, peace out. Yeah, Bob Ross <laughs> kind of deal. Um. Well, in wrapping up, I have one last question for you. Is uh, um, this might you you kind of hit on this early, but you said um, top five, 
right? Your top five. Can you kind of maybe briefly or not briefly? You can you feel free to give me as much as you want here. Um, your top five or top moments. What some of the top moments you've had as a as a sports writer? Um, as a writer, not as a fan, right? Yeah, as a as, yeah. a, as a okay. writer, as the whole complete craft where it kind of com- complete circle of the craft. Okay. Um, well, maybe I'll tie it to the columns I've written instead of just being there because it mm-hmm. kind of comes together. You can be in, have a great moment and then feel like you wrote a pretty cruddy column and it's like it kind of ruined the moment. Um, for example, I said I covered the. Uh, the USC Texas national championship game. That was one of the worst moments of my career because I got caught watching, mm. and uh, which can happen. I, I got so caught up in an incredible game that you know uh, I ran out of time, and the Ooh. column kind of showed it. Um, so that's just a sort of a bad memory, even though the game was great. So it's hard to separate. It's like in any job, you know, um, it's a teaching moment. For you, I would I say, imagine. yeah, it was absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get caught up. Can't get caught up in what you're watching. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to remember what you're there for. Uh, Tiger Woods winning the masters was special because what I did is I went behind the scenes. I went into the, uh, clubhouse area and the, uh, caddy area and found, uh, black uh, employees of an all-white club and interviewed them about what it meant for Tiger to win and, and kind of wrote this story about how they were all kind of up on their tiptoes coming as he was coming down the 18th fairway. They were all trying to get a look, you know, looking over mm. on their, you know, trying to see it. So that was, a, that was a super cool moment because, again, that was a live thing I covered of greatness. Uh, what, no matter what you think of Tiger as a person, he's an incredible golfer, and so that was that was pretty cool. Um, I covered Ohio State national championship game in '01 when they beat Miami in a in a double overtime, and that was a wickedly tough game to cover, but it was pretty thrilling. The energy was in in that stadium out in mm-hmm. Arizona. Um, there's two. I'm trying to think of the NFL. Um, well, I've covered a lot of Browns and Bengals games, so there's I can't. There's not much there with those two teams. I've had some really painful experiences. The Steelers-Bengals playoff game mm. about three years ago was a killer. Both mostly again mm. in rooting for me at one right. hurt. Right. Um, I covered uh, hockey, NHL. That that was cool. I covered NHL uh, finals a couple years. Um, the energy in a hockey, you know, an arena with the whole thing of guys shaking hands, you know, you win that, you lose a national, you lose the title and you've got to go out and shake hands. That, that's just a cool little thing that happens mm-hmm. in hockey. Um, uh, what, what, what are some other sports here? Baseball. Uh, I covered several world series. Uh, so some neat stuff there. Never covered a no hitter. Um, yeah, you know, it's hard to pick them out. There's just yeah, been so many, and there've been a lot of painful ones. You know, a lot of the biggest things I've covered have been my team deep down losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but you, you know, know that like, was it. Like you preached, though, it, it, these are moments where you shine best as a sports writer, just because this is why you're there to begin with. You know, it's, right. it's, I think if anything I've gathered from it is that as a as one who wants to get into that industry, I think I've I've been really encouraged just to hear like the um, 
you, you talked a lot and rightfully so about the fan, the fan and you sort of having to object, you objectively have to, you have to be objective, you know, and whether I, you like it or not, it's history you're watching. <laughs> it's history that you are covering. So I think I've been, I personally have been really encouraged to hear your story uh, over the years. Uh, and even to this day, you being so energetic and because I I'd imagine um, uh, that even you know this is what you love to do. This is what you have. This is your craft. But it does does it ever get jaded for you? Does do you ever like everyone else? You have to put your you know you have to put on your work cap to go to work, right? It's still it's a job. It's a it's a mm-hmm. it's a job. I would like to do what you're doing. You know, uh, dirty little secret. I, years ago, I still look back and my kids give me give me grief. And I think in some ways my favorite job would have been being like a talk show host. Uh, ah. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what you're doing right now, which you're very good at, I think you're natural oh, at this whole thing. That. I mean, I've, I've been interviewed and done a lot of interviews, so I think you're really good at this. I think that, uh, yeah, it's a job. If you had to do what you're doing right now every day, that microphone some days would be like, uh, Oh, oh, definitely, you know? man. Uh, for me, I've now again, like I started doing this and the hardest part is when I don't have anybody to go, when my guests don't, it's like when you have to make a story, right? For me, podcasting, I guess has sort of been my thing. And the hardest part is when say a friend or a guest isn't available and I have to make something this week. So I go solo. It's kind of like talking to yourself. The same thing with your story, you know. For me, I'm still trying to develop as a writer as well, but I feel like this kind of helps me because this is the new for for better or for worse. Podcasting is the new radio. It's our like Joe Rogan is our version is our our guys' generation of like a ham kind of old sports talk radio, you know, just this new platform. Absolutely. I I, I do three I do three podcasts. Mm-hmm. a week in Ohio State football, and I just started yesterday, actually, doing a little two-minute synopsis of my column. Where can and we just, find you? Uh, well, there's my Twitter is Roller CD, just mm-hmm. like Rollerball, Roller CD. That's Twitter. Uh, dispatch.com is a website. Okay. Um, a lot of it's on BuckeyeExtra.com. So that's that's pretty much it. I, I I retweet or post a lot of my stuff on Twitter, so you can find it there. And uh, it's a it's a brave new world for me too, bro. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to get into this world of podcasting and 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 self promotion in a sense and branding, but yeah. uh, it's all part of it. It's it's weird it's, because uh, you're not. It's not the traditional route of broadcasting where you're live and you it it shows you you're on air. You know, you yourself, you're literally pressing the record button by well. If you if you're doing it indie like me or like thousands of others, you're pressing the record button, and and then you go. You know, it's like oh, whatever comes out comes out. Well, uh, Mr. Aller, Rob, it's been a great pleasure having you on. Uh, this has been encouraging not only for me but uh, probably for anybody else who is who's listened up to this point. Uh, man, thank you so much. Any any last words? Right. Any 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 last? No, words? just ditto, ditto. I mean, you're you're fantastic. I really appreciate being on here. Uh, if anyone ever wants to drop me a line, roller at dispatch dot com. Uh, if you need advice, if you need anything, uh, I'd love to help people out. And uh, you know, bless blessings to everybody. Be safe. Be smart. And uh, 
you know, love your teams. Don't be, don't be ashamed to be a fan. <laughs> all right. All right, guys, that's been the country take podcast for today. Uh, be sure to listen and tune in every week. Uh, every week there will be different, slightly different episodes, non-sports takes as well coming up in the future. Uh, I am working to get a private investigator on on air for as soon as possible and another historian podcast joseph mose will be back to hopefully talk about a certain another era of history so that's been the crunchy take podcast this week peace out you guys <laughs>